welcome to another episode, another show. I am so delighted to be with you all here today. We have a very, very special guest. Her name is Susan Borgard. She is a holistic life and business coach and also a Reiki master. I'm so excited to have her here to share her story. And I just want to invite you all to welcome the lovely Susan to the show. <laughs> I'm How very excited. I'm doing yeah. well. I'm doing Good. well. Thank you for having me on. I'm so excited. Oh, you're so welcome. So please tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get into uh, life coaching, Reiki Mastery, and all of the other wonderful little modalities that you do? Well, it's really interesting. So like you had said, in addition to being a Reiki Master, in the last year I've become an aromatherapist. I've always been crazy about crystals. It seems to be like the earth-based stuff that I'm really like kind of vibe with. Um, which makes sense because I'm a Taurus, so I'm very earthy and grounded. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, yeah, so I actually, believe it or not, my day job um, that I'm moving out of, I'm going to fully move into my business um, by June. Um, but I'm, it's a very left brain thing. I'm a finance director. I have my um, business degree. And the whole journey, I've been solely taking this journey into all the energy work um, and the more spiritual path that I'm taking probably in earnest since 2012. Um, so, you know, this last year really kind of ramped things up. I think, um, you know, the pandemic was so difficult for so many people. I think mm -hmm. all of us, I don't know anybody that hasn't experienced some sort of trauma um, some more than others, but this past year, has been really challenging, but for me, it was really an acceleration into like into my authentic self. So it really kind of pulled away all these external things that that just really didn't suit me anymore. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so to give you some background, um, I'm adopted, and my adopted parents, my father actually died in 2012, which is really had kind of spurred my whole. Um, spiritual awakening and delving mm -hmm. into my past traumas and that sort of thing. Um, but they, you know, they're older parents. They were born in the depression. Um, they have a scarcity mindset and it was always, the message was always, you need to work very hard. You need to work hard to make money. You need to work hard to be successful. And my mother in particular was all about um, kind of the superficial so you had to be the best at what you do and you had to be um, the top of your game and you have to have these titles and these letters and these certifications. And, you know, it's really interesting on my Instagram, I posted a video because I used to draw. I love to draw mm -hmm. and I used to sing and I danced and because it was driven in me that you had to be like a famous artist or you had to go to art school and have this amazing portfolio. It just really took the joy out of it. And I stopped for a very long time drawing. Um, so as I've, you know, kind of really delved more into my spirituality and start to release a lot of those ingrained thoughts and behaviors and beliefs, a lot of it's really ingrained overlaid beliefs. Um, I found Reiki. Um, and I got my level one, gosh, I want to say in 2016. 
and it was just so life-changing for me. The, the fact of um, being connected into this higher universal healing energy, um, it just really spoke to me. And then I went on to get my level two, my master, now I'm a Reiki master teacher. Um, and the more I practice, just the more amazing the experiences are. And even to heal myself and do Reiki on myself has been so transformational for me. Um, so that, that part's been going for a couple of years. Um, but you know, to get back to the pandemic, I, even though I'm on the spiritual path, there is still some of those ingrained beliefs where, um, you know, I felt I had to just really be involved and do all these things. And I'm a very passionate person. I'm also, um, naive and really idealistic too, <laughs> which isn't a bad thing. I just need to temper it. Um, so where I work, it's for a federally qualified health center. So we serve people um, regardless of their ability to pay, which is, I've always been drawn toward mission-based like day jobs because of that. And so I was involved in advocacy for our patients, just moved into Willimantic uh, in 2019. I'd worked here for almost 10 years, but I I actually moved with my son in 2019. So like I got involved in, you know, the town politics and I was on the census complete count committee and I was on the charter revision commission and all these, you know, different organizations. You know, I I served as the board chair for the local no free shelter, which I'm still on the board. It's a very, very important thing to me on the board of sexual assault crisis center of Eastern Connecticut. Cause that again, I have past trauma. So that was very important to me. And I didn't even realize, even though I'm, you know, kind of going on my spiritual path, I'm pursuing my Reiki. I knew I wanted to do aromatherapy. I meditate. I pray. I have a a meditation practice. I try to do every day. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I'm not, (laughs) I'm not perfect with it, but there was still that part, that driving part of me that just needed the external validation. And I didn't, I wasn't, honestly, really even conscious of it. And so when we went on lockdown, which is, I think a year ago, yesterday on the 11th, in this part of of my world, we we went full lockdown. It literally, like everything went boom and just stopped. And within two months, like all of that external stuff just kind of got ripped away. And I was really forced to have to focus on what's important. So you know, my son, he's, I have a 12 year old. It's going to be 13 in May going on 25. <laughs> <laughs> We've all been there, haven't we? <laughs> I know. He's an amazing soul too. He's just, he's one of those old souls in a, in a young body, but he, you know, first it was like, oh, you're just going to be at school from home distance learning for two weeks. And then it was a month. And then it was the rest of the school year. I mean, things are just changing so quickly at work being a health center, we never closed. And that was really stressful. And then being on the board of the no freeze, like, what do we do with the people we serve? We can't put them out in the cold. How do we protect our staff? And I ended up having to really evaluate where to put my energy because it just was going in too many directions. So I stepped Mm -hmm. off of a lot of committees and just stopped and tried to focus on the things that were important. And the funny part was, is my partner, he and his daughter moved in a week before lockdown. <laughs> oh wow! I transition know. there too. <laughs> exactly. I know. So it's you know. So there's you know two preteens and us 
trying to figure out how to live together. And then my biological mother, whom I have a relationship, was diagnosed with breast cancer in December. And then my aunt was a respiratory therapist, so she couldn't bring her to appointments because she worked in COVID units. And I just, even though she didn't only been in my life for three years, I just felt like it was the right thing to do to step in. So I was juggling my adopted mom, who was 92, and thankfully she had a full-time aide, and my bio mom with her health issues. It was just, but it, like I said, the looking back, it was just, it's like being forged through fire. I love to use that analogy whenever we're going through something extremely difficult. You know, steel is strengthened by being heated by fire and forged. And you know, one of the things I've really learned in my experience is that I used to I used to have a mindset of like, why me? And life is so hard. And the reality is that it is. I mean, incarnating on this earth is really, it's about duality. It's about, you know, joy and pain and suffering and gaining. And I think that mindset really helped me get through the pandemic. And what ended up happening is, my adopted mom, and I knew this was probably her last year. Like she, I mean, 20, I should have known 2020 was going to be a year because it started out with her being brought to the ER with, with um, some health issues. And so I should have known right then that 2020 wasn't going to be good, (laughs) but she ended up taking her exit from this world on September 6th. And so to kind of explain our dynamic, she, we had a very toxic difficult relationship. She, and not to say, I mean, I had food on the table, you know, they took good care of me. We had happy times and we did have some laughter and whatnot, but she could be very abusive at times. She was mentally ill. And so it was a very difficult, you know, there's, there's a lot of pain between the two of us through our lifetime and a lot Mm -hmm. of codependency and toxic behavior. The blessing in the last couple of years, as she got more toward her exit, you know, just she was able to look back on her life and really start to reflect. And even though it was still difficult at times, she could still lash out at me. I was so blessed to be in her presence because she started to open up for me in the first time in my entire life. Cause she was, she was so damaged as a child. She was abused. She was neglected. And I, mm-hmm. and I got that insight that I never had before because she was so walled off from all of her abuse and her pain. Mm-hmm. And her whole tactic was, well, I'm going to hurt them before they hurt me. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I was the brunt of a lot of it as a child. And you don't understand that. And so she actually, I never thought she'd say these words. She asked me to forgive her because she knew she wasn't a good mother. And that was so humbling and absolutely brought me to tears. And I said, wow. you know, I love you. And I wasn't always a good daughter. And to to get to that understanding was just I can't even put into words what a gift that was. And I remember a couple of weeks before she died, she couldn't even eat or lift her, her hands by herself. So I was over there at dinner time and I was feeding her. And it was just like the most loving, unconditional act. And it was so beautiful and so tender. Like I was crying afterwards. And, you know, she had passed away shortly after that. And I was, I had the blessing to be able to be by her side and hold space for her and do Reiki on her and talk to her as she transitioned out of her physical body. And that was a gift to be able to really hold that space and that unconditional love for her as she transitioned, because, you know, she really was not able to allow herself to feel that in her life because she was so damaged. And it just, just split my heart open. 
And so when she passed, you know, I'm not going to lie, it's some little bit of PTSD going on. I, I at one point had panic attack because I thought her ghost was going to show up and just say, you messed everything up and you did everything wrong. And, you know, yeah. <laughs> You know, but once once I got through that, it it was like this sense of freedom for the first time in my life. I didn't have that expectation of not being good enough or possibly disappointing her. And it just was like, oh my gosh, it just kind of I the whole energy shift was just really amazing. And it was almost like a culmination of all of the work I've really done since 2012, but especially the difficulty coming through the pandemic and just feeling, you know, it's that, that feeling of disorientation and nothing seems familiar. And it's, you like, you're in such a surreal state. And I've always found in those very difficult times where there is that disorientation and there is that sense of not being grounded and being really almost tossed like in a storm and a sea Mm -hmm. is what really forces you to surrender and to really whatever your faith is or your higher power, it's to surrender to that and to trust. And, you know, obviously, or maybe not obviously, but growing up, I trusting was a very difficult thing for me to do. So that ultimate surrender was really like, I felt it culminated in in the fall with her passing. So interestingly enough, I had signed up for an aromatherapy class that October. I already signed up before she had passed and it was, I'd been wanting to do it for years And the timing just wasn't right. And it was like the perfect weekend. And I didn't have my son that weekend. And it's, it's one of those things, like everything happens when it's supposed to, it's like trusting the divine timing. Mm -hmm. And so I had said to myself, you know what, I'm still going to go just because mom passed doesn't mean I shouldn't go to the aromatherapy weekend. I'm going to treat myself and go. And it was the most amazing weekend. Um, It's, my teacher is uh, Sue Cody, who is with Wisdom of the Earth out of Sedona, Arizona. And there's their stuff is amazing. It just vibrates at such a high level. And it was just really like everybody that was in the class was perfect. We all kind of fit together beautifully. And it was more just about oils. It was about, you know, connecting in with the vibration of the oils and really, and like so much stuff started coming up, depending <laughs> on the you know, that, that we were working on, but it was beautiful. Like, it's just what I needed. It was, didn't feel like a class. It felt like a retreat. And, you know, there was a a lot of crying and journaling and, and self-discovery. The first kind of really exposure I got into coaching was at the, the Sunday before we all left is we got to coach each other for a half hour and we picked out three oils and we would talk about what it is we wanted to talk about. And we, we pick a random oil and we would anoint ourselves as the other person kind of walked us through some coaching questions. And I had never no idea what coaching was before that. I had realized in that weekend that I wanted to do more than my current job. Like it, it's, I'm good at numbers, business. I've been in business for 25 years, but it just, there's a, a piece of my soul that speaks so much more deeply. And even though I, I believe in our mission, like people need access in the United States to quality, affordable healthcare like that. I've, very much believe passionately that that is a right, a human right, but it just, yeah. yeah, Oh yeah. It's, it really is. It's, it's heartbreaking to see, but I also knew like just being supporting their business. I needed more. I needed to be more connected. I needed to feel like I was connecting into something and I wasn't sure what that something was, but I knew it was deeper. Ironically enough, 
the weekend before that, there's in Connecticut, there's this wonderful used bookshop called the Niantic Book Barn. So people in the area probably know what it is because it's a destination and it's this huge barn and a lot of outbuildings and tons of used books. Like if you love books, you can literally spend a day there. The place is amazing and they have reading areas and they have stray cats that they take in and feed. It's the coolest place. It sounds really cool. It is. It's really cool. And you can literally spend a day there just poking around all the books. And I always go to their, I guess, metaphysical section. And um, that's the first place I'd be lying to in the barn. And I had grabbed this book, uh, several books. There was, I had a whole, because we always leave with piles like this. And I had set it aside and I read another book first. The book that I pulled next to read was called Shamanism and Psyche, Healing the Soul by Dr. Ann Drake. And she is a psychotherapist who's also a shaman. And she merges her modalities of talk therapy with shamanism for for her clients who are open to it. To not only, you know, do the traditional talk therapy about releasing beliefs, but also shamanically going in and helping people, you know, pull some of the, the energy out or do soul retrieval or whatever it is that her client needs to move forward. So I thought the book was fascinating when I was looking at it on the shelf. So I go to read it and I open it and the, the author inscribed the book and it said to Susan, you are a beautiful soul and you have a lot to give to the world with much love and Drake. And I went, what? <laughs> like I read it three times. I'm like, it just is one of those kind of moments where you're just that synchronicity that you're like, you know, it makes you stop. And real? So it's, I know. So at that point for the weekend of aromatherapy, I was thinking, well, maybe I need to be a therapist. Maybe that's how I merge my modalities of Reiki. And now I'm learning aromatherapy. Maybe that's how I merge my modalities because I had, you know, a lot of childhood trauma and abandonment issues. And for me, it wasn't just therapy. I mean, I've been in therapy for eight years, but what really seemed to move me forward was these other modalities and changing my energy and do a lot of healing and releasing of blockages and, and, and the praying and the meditating like that really, the entire package just really helped me get to where I am today. And so I was thinking, well, maybe I'll be, I'll be a therapist. And so I'd announced that I think it was the Saturday of the aromatherapy class and everybody was clapping and I brought the book in and people were reading the inscription, but then we were coaching people on Sunday. And I'm just like, this is kind of cool. This coaching thing. I really like it, but I it didn't, I didn't connect the dots at that point. And so I had was zooming with a friend a month or two later and, and I had researched my graduate schools for my MSW and was putting in applications. I was sure this is what I was going to do. And she said to me, you know, Sue, are you sure you want to be a therapist? And I said, well, you know, the book, the, the book, she's a therapist. It makes sense. Like, this is, I think this is what I'm supposed to do. What else can it mean? She said, I really think that you'd be really happy coaching. And I'm like, really? So she walked me through this meditation. This is why I love my friends. Like, they're so awesome. So cool. <laughs> it's, it, I know. They're just, they're so wonderfully supportive like that. And she had said, you know, so picture yourself in the future and you have your therapy practice and you have, you know, you're doing your Reiki and your clients, like, how does it feel? And it didn't quite align 
in my gut. Like I had that kind of Mm -hmm. feeling. Mm -hmm. She said, okay, so picture that you just stay in your job and you don't do anything. And that was like, whoa, no, (laughs) (laughs) did not feel good at all. The lesser of two evils. (laughs) (laughs) Hard no on that one. Yeah. Um, So she, then she said, well, picture yourself coaching. And in, in a coaching practice and using your, your aromatherapy and your Reiki. And what does that feel like? And I just, whoo, I was bubbly and I was just like, wow, like I, I'm feeling like it's coaching. She had said, well, why don't you just research schools and just, just look into it and see, see how, see how it goes. And so I, I put out, there's a Facebook group of like-minded women in New England. And I put out a post just asking like, who's a coach? Which schools did you go to? And I really did my, my due diligence. And I landed on Radiant Coaching Academy because it was holistic. And I love the fact that it was the whole person. It's not just, I'm just a business coach. Or I'm just, I mean, it's really, I call myself a life and business coach, but it's really wherever my client wants to go, completely up to them. It's a six-month program. And I said, well, you know what? So I, I applied to Baylor for my MSW and the cohort that I chose wasn't starting till May. So I said, I'll just, this May feels right to me for this application for Baylor. Let me just do the coaching thing and see how it goes. And I'll never forget when, because we can't do live hours in person. So we do it through Zoom. Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting and people were talking about energy. There's yoga teachers and Reiki masters and theta healers and all kinds of, and just, you know, people that don't do the, those type of modalities either, but are drawn to the holistic approach. And I think I typed in the chat. I feel like I found my people. <laughs> yeah. 100%. Yeah. It was just, it was really awesome. Then the more I thought about it, the more I thought, that I very naturally and intuitively have been coaching probably a good chunk of my life. I'm one of those people where I'm standing in the grocery store and people just start, because I talk to everybody. I just, I love, people are fascinating to me. And I just, yeah, they are. <laughs> they are. Yes. You know, people just start talking to me in the grocery store line and I get their whole life story or they just like open up these like very vulnerable personal things. And sometimes I'm like, is a little TMI, but I mean, I just, I, I, <laughs> I'm just here for some eggs. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Goes for eggs, gets a whole life story. I know, right? I love it. I love it. Yeah, it's divine timing again. I know. <laughs> but even at work, I mean, my office has always been the safe space mm-hmm. at all levels of the organization, whether it's you know, peers, direct reports, folks in other disciplines or, or departments, or even like, you know, the CEO, it like they will come in and close the door and people, some people come in and just cry. Some people just need have need for me to hold space for them. Some people need to talk through stuff. And so I, I realized that it's something that I very naturally do anyway. So the more I stepped into this, the more I realized that this is, this is something, this is where my thing is. This is where I really feel like I can positively impact the world. And I don't think I would have gotten there were it not for, the, honestly, the pandemic, quite honestly, it had really shifted my priorities. It's just, it's just really been an amazing journey, I have to say. Yeah, no kidding. I want to just reflect back. You mentioned at the beginning of your story, you know, it was when your 
you said your your father died in 2012 that that was really the catalyst for you and I relate to that on so many levels my mom passed away in 2015 mm-hmm. and I was like what just happened you know I was so confused at what was going on I didn't know how I felt about myself I didn't know how to handle the grief or understand what it was And that was what shifted things for me. But I often wonder, you know, as I'm hearing your story and as I'm recollecting, you know, how how many people I've encountered in my time, it's always when we have a very, very painful rupture or severance or removal from our life, whether that be a loved one or a relationship Mm -hmm. or a, a career, that that's what, you know, forces us to go, oh, time to wake up. Hello, are you here? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And I just think it's so fascinating and it's a beautiful part of the human experience. And Mm -hmm. sometimes I wish that it didn't have to go that way for people, but I also understand the depth at which it's necessary. (laughs) Yeah. Some people, some people experience it and still never wake up. And I'm like, okay. Well, you know, you might need you might need to fall down the cliff a couple more times and and really hit rock bottom. Yeah, you know, I'll be here for you when you do, but you may have to fall a few more times before you you know really get your footing and and understand that hey, this is this is what I need to do moving forward. And I really, really, truly feel that 2020 with this whole pandemic with the lockdown. Yes, it has been excruciatingly painful for so many people because now not only are we in this state of lockdown, Mm. we're we're sort of forced to go inward. So while it may be, you know, a curse or something very uncomfortable and you know, me personally, I despise it. I think it's a total load of shit, but you know, (laughs) (laughs) that's my own personal opinion about it. I, I do recognize that there's a lot of trauma that is being surfaced there's a lot of people that are are starting to wake up I mean I'm I'm seeing it in my own family people who have been like dead against you know counseling and therapy are suddenly like you know I started working with a counselor a few weeks ago I'm like yes (laughs) (laughs) so I think it's really important to remember that and also I don't know why this just keeps like itching in my brain here but In the Bible, there are certain numbers that are referred to. And the number 40 Mm. is usually referred to, uh, you know, like 40 years or 40 days or whatever. It's like a period of deep transformation that needs to happen. And 2020, when you add 20 and 20, it equals 40. So it was like the year of preparation. That's what the word is. 40 equals preparation. So I'm curious if, if that maybe resonates a little bit with you as well. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, I can't remember now, but 2020... With the with numerology has a lot of because I remember coming into it, people were just like, "Oh, 2020." Again, numerology obviously is not my forte, but I do have friends that are really adept at it, and it was very mm-hmm. meaningful in so many different ways. And I I don't think that people anticipated it would be such a hard shift because everybody's just like, "2020 is going to be great," and it's you know it's a beginning, and it and in, in a lot of ways it was a beginning. It's just not I think the beginning that a lot of or the way things were beginning that people really <laughs> anticipated. You know? Aggressive beginnings. Exactly. You know, and it's really interesting because a friend of mine did a year-long tarot poll for me mm-hmm. for 2020. And April was the tower card. I had thought it to mean that my mother was going to pass in April. I had no- <laughs> if 
you told me <laughs> it was a global pandemic, I would have laughed at you. But it's, it really is, I fully believe it was a year of preparation that we are shifting to a higher consciousness. Like so many people are really more open, like you said, to, to self-healing, whether it's going to therapy or seeking out different modalities. I mean, this year I've had more new people try Reiki and I'm, and they're so open to it and they have such an amazing experience. And even some people that I thought would never, ever, ever be open to trying Reiki. I had someone randomly message me and I was like, what? But it was great. And it was just very, a very meaningful shifting experience for them. And I think, you know, to, to your point, it's right. You're, you're so right. It's like these events that happen whether it's losing a loved one, loss of a relationship, loss of a job, it really is a way of clearing out a lot of things that need to be cleared out to move forward. Mm -hmm. And you're right. Some people are in that mentality. It's either scarcity or it's a victim or whatever you want to call it, where it's like, oh, life is so hard. And this always happens to me. And, and of course, you know, you attract what you think too. Yep. On some level. And what you say. <laughs> and what you say. And what um, you say. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And there are always blessings in everything. And they might not be obvious in that moment. You know, looking back, would I want to experience the childhood trauma? I did. No. <laughs> absolutely no. not. I would not want to do it again. <laughs> and I know I get, you know, I'm very much believe in you know, soul contracts and that kind of thing. So I know on some level that I chose it for my spiritual evolution. But it's such a blessing, especially going through all the really difficult conversations with my mom. And, you know, at one point she, she was screaming at me, calling me names. What led up to it is she had had an aide that was, I had discovered stealing significant sums of money from me and I, or for, for my mother, I apologize. I was going through my separation and my divorce. My mom just didn't want me involved in her finances, even though I was her power of attorney. And I'm like, fine, you want to do it? Go for it. So this woman fully took advantage of the situation, my mother, the relationship between me and my mother, and would say things to drive even more of a wedge between me and my mother, took advantage of the fact I was consumed with my separation and divorce. So when I had discovered it, you know, my mom didn't really have a lot of money left. And it's interesting because my mother's nest egg was what gave her a sense of safety and power, and that was ripped away. So if you look at that from that perspective, that really forced the two of us to kind of sit in our crap, really kind of, you know, because I I got into a point with her before where I'm just like, okay, I know my boundaries because I, and that's another thing is boundary building has been really big. So, so important. It is. And I didn't think I could have them before. So like even having a boundary, like was a big thing for me a couple of years ago. Yeah. Yeah. It's a huge thing. It is. It is. So it's just like, I knew I could only be with her a couple hours and then I couldn't be around her. And it really forced me to sit in that discomfort and have to be around her and have to talk to her and listen to her. And we would not have gotten to the place where we got to had she not lost a good chunk of her money, almost all her money really. And I hadn't have to step in and be with her as closely as I had to in that moment and really for, cause I honestly, I was just like, okay, your aid's got her. I don't really have to be around, but now like that kind of forced the hand mm-hmm. and it was so uncomfortable at the time. I still remembered, I could still feel it in my body, like the discomfort, 
but it was such a blessing. Like, like we just to gut it out and sit through it and sit through the ugliness and try to keep breathing and to not get triggered and not take it personally and just try to really sit in my compassion. And the payoff was just unbelievable, like unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's really interesting how, when you look back, you can identify those points in your life that really helped you shift. Yeah, I agree. I also feel it's really important for, for us as human beings. We relate when we hear the stories, when we, when we hear someone else share, you know, their pain, their suffering, their sorrows. Yeah. It, sometimes, you know, you don't want to hear it. Um, mm. But when we're, when we're in a place of our own healing, where we've learned to be compassionate and empathetic towards ourselves and our journey, it helps us to open up the, our heart space to hearing our parents' story. And I, I mean, you know, just from what you've shared, like I can tell you, my parents endured a lot of trauma as well mm. when they were children. And funny story, my, so my, I'm second generation in Canada. My mom's entire family came from Germany and mm. my grandfather was in the Nazi regime. Oh, wow. Um, so, you know, there's like that militant background. Yeah. And, like the probably a lot of PTSD from having to be involved in the war, which yeah. was then passed on to the children, which was then passed on to the grandchildren. And my grandfather, I loved him. Like he, he cared for us, uh, you know, like, like we were like the most precious gems on the, on the planet. And I, I loved going to visit him. Like it was amazing. Aww. When I, when I think back about, you know, my own parents, like my mom, she suffered mental illness, but we didn't find out until she was on her deathbed. Mm. We knew something was not right, but like we just could never put our finger on it. And yeah. it wasn't until she was like on her deathbed, she disclosed the information to my sister, you know, letting her know that she was suffering from, a mental illness and I like I can actually think back to the stories that she told me about how when she was 16 years old she was bucked off of a horse and she mm. you know cracked her skull and had a severe concussion and and she was in the hospital for four I think three or four days and nobody knew where she was because back then we didn't have cell phones yeah. we didn't have you know communication <laughs> people didn't even have home phones most of the time so you know she was kind of MIA for a few days but it just helped me to understand my mom at an even deeper level and it yeah. also it also helped me to find the the additional capacity necessary to forgive her for mm. all of all of the things that I was exposed to and I think that forgiveness is honestly the hardest part but it yeah. is the biggest yeah. ticket to any ascension process any transition any movement forward I'm yeah. curious like what do you think about forgiveness what are your thoughts on forgiveness oh my gosh forgiveness that's such a fascinating thing because, you know, I, so with the journey with my mother, I sitting with her and listen, just like you had said, listening to her journey and her abuse, like it, it, I had an insight into why she was the way she was. And, you know, in her mind, she just wanted to be a better parent than her parents. And quite honestly, she succeeded because she was a better parent than her parents. And so that was really allowed me to just really sit and forgive her because she was really doing the best she could. It's really interesting because I have friends and some coaching clients where forgiveness, it's, it's difficult for them to do. You know, it's one of those things where like it, not forgiving somebody is 
you know, like drinking poison and, and expecting them to die. Like it just really poisons yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. And and some other people have no idea that they did anything that they think that they should apologize for. Like the yeah, before. yeah, yeah. But even so, it's it's forgiveness is not condoning what happened by any stretch of the imagination. And I think some people get that confused. Forgiveness is just letting it not poison you and, and just, you know, it happened. I can't change it. I'm deciding to not let this have power over me. I know that having that mindset has made it easier for me to forgive, but, and also having the view of not taking things personally. And I think, I think that's another part of it too, is when you can take a step back and have a, try to understand somebody and understand their path or kind of their perspective. Again, it's not condoning or it's saying that it's right or wrong. Like it's non-judgment, but it's mm-hmm. just having an understanding of what their motivation may be, or maybe they're reacting or they're triggered or they have a trauma and just mm-hmm. sitting in that compassion and being like, you know, what you're doing isn't okay, but I am not taking it personally because clearly it's, it's in you. It's something that you're doing that you need to heal. And uh, it's, it's difficult because a lot of times we are as humans can be very self-centered. Yeah. Yeah, we are. <laughs> we are. And we think that everything is about us. And yeah, right. Right. And if there's anything I've learned, it's usually not about me. I mean, truly everything in your life is a mirror to you. So if you think about it, you know, if you have a friend and they're, you know, maybe not acting in a healthy way or acting out and you're just like, oh, you know what? I love you. And I know you're going through a hard time and you have no reaction, but just, you know, your heart goes out to them because you see they're self-destructing, but you, otherwise there's no other reaction. There's nothing in you that needs healing around that. Like you're not attached. If you have another friend acting in a different way and all of a sudden you get these feelings. Cause for me, it's my body. Like I, Oh yeah, me too. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) It's like this, I can't even describe it. It comes up into my chest. Yeah. All of a sudden it's like, like this vibrating little thing. And I'm just like, what is that? (laughs) And I used to have another friend doing a different behavior. And all of a sudden you're feeling that like, And you just want to start like judging them or telling them what to do. I have a friend, she loves telling me what to do. And she's finally realized that it's her, it's her own healing that needs to happen. And I just love her so much. Self-awareness. I know. <laughs> and it just, but, and I love it so much because she'll, she'll start. And I guess she always gets a certain look on her face too, when she starts and then she'll take a breath and she'll go, I know it's just me. <laughs> Like, yes, (laughs) but it's an evolution because, you know, a couple of years ago, I don't think she would have had the self-awareness to do that. And I think that's where a lot of the like meditation really helps, whether it's or yoga, whether a walking meditation or a mantra, but it's it kind of gets you out of your head and you're not enmeshed with your thoughts and you're not enmeshed with your emotions. You know, if you can get to the point where you're in the throes of something and you can feel it. And just say, okay, there's something happening. Like even that is a huge step forward to have that awareness. Yeah. Last night, my boyfriend, he was having an argument and he said something he wished he didn't. And he even said, I knew, I knew my head was saying, don't say it, don't say it. And it just came out of the mouth. 
Yes. Yes. But having that awareness is, you know, was huge because I don't know that he would have had that a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. So I, I do agree. Awareness is the key. It's the, the foundation of which you build your your life house upon Mm. because without that awareness we don't recognize when someone is holding a mirror up to us you know to reflect our vulnerabilities our places that are still needing tenderness and um, you know integration I think that it's it's truly revolutionary when when we begin to allow ourselves permission to pause when we have that like uh, kind of reaction like yeah. oh oh hang on I see you what yeah. is this what yeah why is this coming up for me and and it's it's a foundational premise for again for for change and it leads to when you have that self-awareness it leads to the liberation or the knowledge of whatever is percolating under the surface or festering if you like yeah. so to allow you to liberate it mm-hmm. and then you know, liberate your soul and yourself and your entire being so that you can move forward, see things with a fresh eyes, fresh perspective, and then offer the forgiveness, not even just to other people, but to yourself, forgiving yourself for, for reacting, forgiving yourself for not being self-aware, forgiving yourself for, you know, allowing yourself to run around like, you know, asleep and, and this little, you know, traumatized robot kind of thing, like allowing yourself to actually go inside and feel those things. And I don't know how, how you see this and I'm curious, but I feel like emotions are more painful and more fear mongering. Like they're scarier to people than physical pain. Like, I I mean, I myself would rather suffer physical pain than emotional pain. Like I spent years being completely disassociated from my body because it, it it felt better to be way out here and just like looking at everything, you know, yeah. and, and being being the peanut gallery than it did to actually be like in my body, feeling the feelings, experiencing what was going on and, and taking yeah. the time to understand them. Yes. No, I, I, I agree. You know, I can relate to the disassociation because having a history of sexual trauma, that's, it was a survival. Yeah. Skill. yeah it's like so, number one. Number one, yeah. And so it stayed a survival skill. You know, it's so interesting because in our society, a lot of, and it's, it is shifting. I do believe this is shifting, but so much of what we're taught is that emotions are bad or you can't, you shouldn't feel your emotions or like the good emotions, quote unquote, happy, joyful, like those are great. You can, you can display those, but those, you know, anger, sad, like, no, like, and then um, going back to the mirror, when people see you being angry or sad or depressed or whatever is going on, they, it's too much for them to bear to even watch your emotional pain. And so a lot Mm -hmm. of times people are very isolated in those moments. Emotion, I mean, everything is energy and emotions are energy Mm -hmm. and they naturally. Emotion. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I call them. Emotions are energies in motion. E motion. Yes. That's perfect. Yeah. And they want to flow. They want to yes. have their cycle. They ebb and flow. They crest, they go. And so much of especially emotions like um anger, they're they're repressed. So they start to crest and we just we shut them down instead of learning how to display them in ways that are healthy. Because mm-hmm. you know, being angry and destroying your bedroom is not healthy. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, I have been there. I have been too. there. <laughs> and and I, I, think it's, 
I think it's interesting because you're you're absolutely right. Yes, uh, you know, like we've been taught as as little people ever since we were, you know, brought into this world that you don't act like that, you don't say that, you don't do that, mm-hmm. you know, you don't, 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 and the finger wags all over the place in your face and you get repercussions if you act out of out of yeah. alignment, then you know you're you're spanked or you're humiliated or you're shamed or you're time outed. And, mm-hmm. and those things have a place, but it's also, we've lost because it's, you know, not uh, socially acceptable. We've lost the ability to actually recognize our emotions and express them. Like if you watch yeah. a two-year-old, if they're ticked off, they let you know, <laughs> they scream about it. They throw stuff, they run around and they let it out. And then five minutes later, they're happy and they're playing yeah. because they've released it. Exactly. They haven't like, stuffed it down because it's, it's not been made to be not okay for them. And I, I did this a, a couple of years ago where um, when I was taking my coaching training, we actually spent a week uh, doing like breath work and integration and stuff. Mm. And, and there was a, a lady who was, um, she's a, a well-known author. She introduced us to what's called swamping, which is basically when you feel like crap, Mm. you let it out so she's like if you got to put on a black garbage bag because you feel like garbage and you got to go beat up a pillow that's what you do and we had those big bolsters and like I remember like I just got so lost in letting out the rage and the anger that I was experiencing like I'm pretty sure I wrecked the bolster (laughs) (laughs) but you know like it needed to happen and when I when I discovered that part of myself that been told like rage is not okay anger is not okay mm-hmm. and I allowed myself to tap into it and liberate it through the sound through the movement and through the expression of like what anger and rage looked like and felt like to me in that moment yeah it was like I felt so free and I felt so light and I was like okay I wouldn't do this in public yeah but right. if something you know if something like triggered me to the point where I felt anger or rage or any sort of you know like emotion like that I would want to as soon as I get home take a time out yep. and go into a room and like scream into a pillow or like yeah. you know beat up beat up a pillow or whatever it is that helps you to release that and it's something that I teach all of my clients to do. I'm like, you are allowed to emote. You are allowed to express yourself in a healthy way. You don't go to your husband or your girlfriend or your, you know, your kids and like take it out on them. You go and take yourself, you take your time out, which is a very, very productive thing. Take your time out, have a little scream fest, have a little cry or, you know, scream in your car, whatever you need to do. And then come back and like notice how much better you feel having let that go and notice what else comes up with it. It's often like, always see it as like, it's a mask. It's the anger is masking something. It's what yeah. is it masking? Like what yeah. is underneath that anger? And when we pull back the anger, it's like, wow, actually there's a lot of sadness here. Okay. Yeah. Well, what, what is the sadness about? Oh, well, the sadness is not having my needs met as a child. The sadness is not feeling hurt. The sadness is whatever the sadness is. Yeah. And again, a new awareness has been developed. A new part of yourself has been rediscovered, and you can reclaim that piece of your soul that you have allowed to be stuffed away yeah. underneath rage and anger and sadness and all the things. And yeah, yeah, I just think it's amazing. It's amazing. It really is, and it's you know, I I try to teach my son that ever since he was little, like your feelings are your feelings, because we as human beings we assign you know like the labels this feeling yeah, yeah, yeah. and this feeling is, and they're just, they're just feelings. 
Mm-hmm. And I've always tried to teach him your feelings are your feelings. They're not good or bad. They're not right or wrong. How do we express your feelings? So like he had a punching bag. So when he gets mad, like he'll punch his punching bag or he'll punch on his mattress. And I've done that. I've gotten so, because, you know, I Taurus, I have a temper. I like, <laughs> and I get so angry. My mom was a Taurus too. <laughs> yeah. I start beating the mattress and like this guttural yell. Oh, I felt so much better after. I was just like, okay, look, what else do I need to do now? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know? What's next? It's so What's really <laughs> And it's, it's so sad in a lot of ways, because if you look at the demographics of, you know, whether it's child abuse or spousal abuse, or just really angry people acting in, in ways that just are not good towards other people, mm-hmm. all of that is repressed anger. It's, 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 Totally. Like you had said, ca- unmet needs that are capped mm-hmm. and are just like lashing out in ways that are just not good. Yeah. So it's interesting when I do Reiki on somebody and I can feel their energy, I can feel blockages. And I've had people on the table because once we repress, isn't a step back a second, when we start to repress and push our feelings into our body, our, they literally hold in our body, they hold in our physical mm-hmm. form. Our cells, our cellular memory just grabs onto them. And even though you think like, oh, I've moved on and I've dealt with X, Y, Z, physically, it's still there. That energy Mm -hmm. is still there. So when I do Reiki, I can feel the blockages. And I've had people on the table just burst into tears Mm -hmm. because it's that it's releasing that stuck energy of the emotion. You know, I've had clients literally feel like they have like things coming up out of their mouth, like yeah. all stuck yeah. energy coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, the it, vomit. <laughs> yeah, exa- right. Exactly. Just like all that move, just vomiting it out. So, so then you, you start to look at all of the physical ailments that people have and how much of that goes back to repressing your emotions and not learning as children how to properly express them or name them. Some people, mm-hmm. like you said, can't even name them. What are you feeling now? I don't know. Mm-hmm. So the default goes to anger because it's what they what they know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really really interesting how it's it's just been almost stigmatized that you can't. It's not okay to feel. Yeah, yeah, and, and creating buzzwords around what is acceptable. And, yeah, and and twisting things like there's a lot of twisting. So one of the things that sort of has really grasped my attention recently, um, there's a big movement on nonviolent communication. Mm. And I really disagree with, with the term nonviolent when you're referring to communication, because communication is not violent. It can be aggressive, Mm -hmm. but it can't be violent. And to, to create a buzzword and a stigma around communication actually being violent I don't know. There, there just seems to be some really screwed up things, you know, associated with that. Yeah. Because if that, if if it means that language is now violent, what does that mean? If you're having a conversation and things get heated, does that yeah. mean that you know you are now a violent person because you're you're speaking aggressively or passionately about something? Yeah. You know, I just I think it's really fascinating how these things just sort of populate and. 
and then everybody jumps on the bandwagon and yeah. like, oh, that's violent communication. And it's like, uh, no, violent is when you get violent. It's a physical action. You know, yeah. it's when you club someone over the head with a blunt object. That's violence. Yeah. You know, or like physically harming, like that's violence. But your words are not violent. Like they, yeah. they are they are words and they are expressions of something that you are feeling and to go as far as to say that they are violent is really mm. yeah no i totally agree with that so what as you're talking what's what's coming up for me is that you know as another part of what i feel has been kind of happening is that people are not taking accountability for their feelings and their actions yeah um and a lot of that is is the lack of awareness for sure mm-hmm. but you know i've and i'm sure we've we've all done it we've experienced people who expect everybody around them to act in a certain way or mm-hmm. speak in a certain way to make them feel better. Mm-hmm. And if you don't do that, they get triggered. And yeah. then they start saying, well, you're being aggressive or you're doing this. And in reality, you're not at all. You're just trying to be, con- but it's, they just. It's their perception. Is their perception. And so that's where the danger lies is if, you know, we're having a conversation. And like you said, I'm getting very passionate. When I get passionate, I get loud. Yeah, um, me too. <laughs> yeah. So what if someone says, well, you're being, you're communicating in a violent way right now. So at what point does it become safe for us to have very honest conversations? Exactly. Oh, I just got goosebumps. That's the problem. That's the problem is that they're like, it seems like there's like this weird, and I don't want to, for lack of better terms agenda to Mm -hmm. create this stigma around what communication can look like you remember the saying sticks and stones can break my bones but names will never hurt me well now all of a sudden we have like this whole movement if you will where people are like allowing people's words to be the sticks and stones and it's like words are still just words they're not (laughs) sticks and stones like even if I wrote you're a piece of crap on a stick and beat you with it. It's still the stick that's beating you. It's not yeah, right. words. You know? <laughs> that's great. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I just, I just think that the, the whole perspective on communication, I loved how you, how you said that, that, you know, at what point is it deemed that we can no longer have that conversation, mm-hmm. how we can no longer be passionate in our conversation, or we can no longer be expressive in our communication. There's yeah. a lot of censorship Mm-hmm. that comes with that. And I don't think that that is acceptable. I don't think that people need to be censored more because we've been censored our entire life with our, yeah. our emotions. And now they're trying to censor our voices and what's next Our our thoughts. Like, yeah. is this, real, is this really where things are going now? Yeah, right. Like, I just want to point this out. Like it seems a little bit alarming to me, but it also, so how, what I feel is that it also feeds into the climate we're in especially in social media, because it's just people are behind a screen. So there's that lack of human connection, but mm-hmm. where you cannot have an honest debate, like a respectful debate. And yeah. even if it gets a little heated, like some people go right to name calling. Oh yeah. And then if you call them a name, they're just like, you're being aggressive. And it so it's, it's really, for me, setting a framework of us not being able to have respectful open, vulnerable, safe conversations. And at the end of the day, I mean, I have friends that we see eye to eye, like 90 to 95% of things. We have the same views, same morals. And there's, and it would be so boring if we all were the same, right? Yeah, totally. Um, And those little differences don't have to alienate us and they don't have to make us say us and them 
point separate call. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really fostering. And so like, you know, I don't want to say hidden agenda either, but it's, it makes you wonder because it's fostering this divisiveness mm-hmm. and what happened to, can't we just talk about each other's point of views without attacking each other and agreeing to disagree? Like it's, it's okay to di- agree to disagree. Perfectly yeah. acceptable. Yeah. Um, and I think if anything, even if you agree to disagree, you end up coming away with a better, and it goes back to that understanding of that person being mm-hmm. able to hold compassion. And then maybe even if some forgiveness needs to happen for whatever, then that can, so it's like, we're being just muted. Yeah. In the interpersonal, exactly. interpersonal relations, relationships mm-hmm. that are meaningful. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> well, it's, it's much easier to conquer something once it's been divided. Yeah, oh, yes. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. On that note, I would love to close and ask, do you have any words of wisdom that you would like to share with our viewers and listeners before we close? Yeah, I would just like to say, you know, we're all whole, we're all creative and unique, and everybody's journey is is their own. And, you know, just go through your life knowing that there's divinity within you, there's divinity in each of us, and there is no right or wrong, just you know, follow your passions, find your authenticity and just be who you are. Love it. And how can people find you? How can people get in touch with you if they'd like to connect with you? Um, They can go to my website. It's www.sacredsoulventures.life. They can also email me at sacredsoulventures at gmail.com or they can call my work number 860-710-6362. Beautiful. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing your, your wisdom and your gifts and your vibrant energy. And I look forward to the next time we connect. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was wonderful. You're welcome.